In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is the icon of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And with that verse from Colossians, we begin our journey into a realm that, for many of us, is probably a little foreign. How often do we, as Western Christians, see icons and much less dedicate them? It is known that in recent years, particularly since the 1980s, that iconography has begun to make its way into Western churches, including the Episcopal and Anglican churches, the Roman Catholic, Lutheran, as well as several other denominations. And while this is still something rather new and novel for us here, icons themselves have been used as a tool and aid in Christian worship for over 1,500 years in the Eastern churches, or as we sometimes call them, the Orthodox churches. But why, you might be asking, do we use icons in worship? Is that not idolatry? And are we not breaking one of the Ten Commandments when we put up images in our churches and cathedrals? I would like for you to consider for a moment a room that many of you are familiar with. It might be in your house or in your grandmother's house. It could be a display in a hallway or on a piano or perhaps in a stairwell. And that room is filled with pictures of people. In my house, there is a stairwell full of people whom I never met, but meant a great deal to my mother. In my study at home, I have a picture of my best friend and me from a duck hunting trip we took a few years ago. And there are some photos of other friends of mine who we either played golf together or went quail hunting together. And then there are pictures of us just hanging out, just being with each other. Some of you may have rooms full of pictures of your children, your grandchildren, your parents, your close friends and siblings. And some of those very pictures may be of people whom have died, whom we only hold memories of. Now, please keep that image in your mind. In the first creation account in Genesis, God has almost completed all of his work. And in the sixth day, the last thing which God creates is human beings. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Or as the Greek Septuagint Bible says, in our icon. That imagining or sorry, that imaging or icon crafting becomes the beginning of a reflection, the only reflection in all of creation. We as men and women created in the image or as an icon of God reflect God back to God. And in similar manner, we reflect the image of God, the image of the divine creator, to each other. But it doesn't stop there. 
In the fullness of time, God our Father sent Jesus, his Son. And through the mystery of the incarnation, that mystery of God being pleased as man with men to dwell, our blessed Lord became the ultimate and perfect icon of what humanity should have always been, of what humanity was always intended to be. Our Lord and Savior, while walking and living on this earth, became not just an icon of God and an icon of humanity, but became a window through which each could see the other more fully. Jesus, our Messiah, became the image of perfect love and perfect sacrifice by his death on the cross. Many of us wear an icon of that love around our necks, or we display it in our churches like this one we have right here. It is a reminder to us of what God's love in this world looks like. But the icon of the cross is also a reminder to us of what our love for God must look like. Take up thy cross and follow me. It's that idea of reflection again which is part of the job of any icon. So, when St. Paul says that Christ is the icon of the invisible God, and that in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, Paul is reminding us that Jesus, the Word of God, who was in the beginning with God, is he through whom all things have been made. And through him, everything in creation is rendered good. Since all of creation is called good, we bring aspects of creation into our liturgy, into our worship of God. Beautiful music transforming air and breath. Patents and chalices made of precious metal to hold the body and blood of Christ. Wooden furnishings like this pulpit and the altar that are shaped to perform a specific task. Water for baptism, bread and wine for the Eucharist. And all these things are part of creation and are consecrated or set apart for holy purposes, for Almighty God to put to his use. St. John of Damascus, writing about icons, says this, In times past, God, without body and form, could in no way be represented. But now, since God has appeared in flesh, and live among men, I can, detect, I can depict that which is visible of God. I do not venerate matter, but I venerate the creator of matter, 
who became matter for me, who condescended to live in matter, and who through matter accomplished my salvation. I do not cease to respect the matter through which my salvation is accomplished. Just as in the Bible, we listen to the word of Christ and are sanctified. In the same way, through the painted icons, we behold the representation of his human form and are sanctified. Now, many of us have been to or attend churches that have stained glass windows. Often, though not always, many of these windows depict either a scene from the Bible, the life of Jesus, or reinforce symbolism that we associate with certain liturgical holidays, like Easter with an empty tomb and an Easter lily. These windows tell their story with dazzling brilliance of color and kaleidoscopic patterns. Walking through the Gothic churches and chapels and cathedrals across Europe, one cannot help but be transfixed and drawn to the sheer beauty of these windows and the beauty of the stories they tell. For centuries, when many of the faithful were illiterate, these windows told them the stories of Moses and David and Jonah and various scenes of Jesus either teaching or healing the sick or even of the saints of ages past. It was a visual Bible and a family history told in art and sunlight. So, why an icon instead of a stained glass window? Icons draw us in. They invite us to come closer to God in a different way. What some people may say is a more mystical way. Let's take a look at this icon, which we are about to dedicate. And I most certainly invite you, after Evensong, to come up here and look at it more closely. First, let us consider Christopher himself. Christopher is not the focus of the icon. And we know this because of where he is looking. He isn't looking forward gazing out where he might be heading. He isn't looking upwards to heaven or even marking his steps in the water. Christopher is gazing at Christ. Christopher is looking at Christ and in doing so is telling us to always be looking for, always be gazing at Jesus, our Savior. Second, there is a scale or a perspective to icons that automatically sets them apart from all other art. What we see is a reverse dimension. Eyes are larger because they have seen the glory of God. Bodies are 
somewhat elongated to show that they belong to a heavenly reality and not to be worshipped themselves. Faces are almost flat, as if we are peering through a window into a different world, or maybe to a reflection of ourselves. The saints depicted in icons remind us of the life that is to come. And notice, there's no source of light, no sun nor moon, because Christ is present, and he is the light of the world. Third, an icon is never a unique work of art, that is, except the prototype. Icons are not painted as much as they are written. The process of writing includes prayer, fasting, meditation, and dedicating the writer's work to God's glory alone. There is no canvas here. Instead, the icon and the egg tempura paint, uh, uh, paint that is used is applied directly to the wood. And as it is applied, that paint seeps into the wood, becoming part of that wood permanently. Just as Christ seeps into our hearts and becomes parts of our lives permanently. And because it is not an original, but instead a copy of preceding works, only a few small details in any icon are truly original. For example, our icon of St. Christopher is based on several hundred other icons of the same depiction. And ours, a unique feature that we have, is the blossoms on Christopher's staff, is that of the Texas wild olive tree, which is native to this area. And the reason for the copying and not for the is not for an original work is so that it is pointing not to the writer, but is once again pointing to its purpose to call to mind Saint Christopher's encounter with his Lord and Savior. Lastly, the icon beckons us to meditate, to be still and spend time in prayer and contemplation. What is the icon speaking to us? I think many of you now know St. Christopher's story, so consider this. There is Christopher who is bearing Christ, bearing Christ into the world. And, if you recall, the story says that Christopher was almost drowned in that crossing. It can sometimes be dangerous to bear Christ to this world. We can lose our friends, our wealth, our positions of power, even our very lives. And what about the Christ? He almost looks like a little man. He is not a helpless baby or a child, but instead a king 
holding an orb, holding the world which he himself bore the weight thereof. How can we be Christopher, bearing the king of this world across the city? Will it be dangerous? Will we drown? A few moments ago, I asked you to think about a room with pictures of family and friends. The question that I have for you is this. Why do you have those pictures? Why do you keep them in your home or in your wallet or today we might say on your iPhone? Some may say it is for memory's sake. Recalling past events or moments that are now frozen in time. Perhaps like a wedding photo. Others may say that it is because there was a moment in time that was of particular significance, particular fun, particular solemnity, or the completion of an achievement like graduation with the scholar in cap and gown. But something I think that all of us would agree on is that the people who are in those photographs are people whom we love. People for whom we have deep affection. And because we love them, we want to be able to gaze and look upon them. And perhaps even be reminded of their love for us too. St. Christopher is our patron. And because of that, we have a certain affinity for him. This icon will serve us as a reminder of what we, as the parish of St. Christopher, are to be about. We are the Christ-bearers, the Christophers to this world. We are the Christ-bearers to this city that is wrecked with poverty and addictions and people who are down and out. This is a depiction of a member of our family, our grandfather in faith, if you will. This is a symbol of our Christian lineage. Recall that Christopher wanted to serve the greatest king there was. When we see this icon, we should always be asking ourselves, How better shall we serve our Lord and King? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.